This message was presented at the GYC 2010 No Turning Back Conference in Baltimore, Maryland. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. Good evening again. How many times have you heard that tonight? Enough? Not enough? A question to begin. How many people were here at last year's GYC by, by show of hands? I'd say a pretty good number. How many people were at the opening night last year of GYC? Oh, that's a, a respectable number. Uh, well, then you and I can share a, a common moment for a second. Before I came out here, I instructed that no 3ABN cameramen come on the stage. So you can rest assured, nothing like that will happen. <laughs> so here we are, another GYC. Are you ready? Prepared? Have you been unashamed since we last met? Just a few commonalities before we jump into tonight's message. There's interesting things about being the president of GYC. One of those is to see the dedicated volunteers that volunteer for GYC. Did you know that GYC is built on volunteers? Just before coming to this conference, we decided, you know, we should, we should get a gift. We should get a gift for our volunteers. And so we were adding up the numbers. You know, it was slightly over 300 people that volunteered to make this conference happen. 300. Not many of you are that excited about it, I can tell. <laughs> the executive committee is dedicated. Dedicated to the cause of helping you meet Jesus. I think of Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, vacations, all spent praying that you will find your creator at this conference. You'll see a picture of them listed in the uh, program booklet. I would just invite you, if you see them this weekend, give them a hug. You can do that for me, yes or no? All right. If you don't want to hug them, give them a high five or a pat on the back, whatever it is you do, but encourage them. They're 100% dedicated to their creator, and they're dedicated to making sure you have a relationship with your creator. The other thing that's somewhat interesting is you get a lot of feedback from people that come to GYC. And it, it came apparent to me that uh, on our blog, through our Facebook, I think it was, and, and I'm not actually on Facebook, so this was someone telling me, and, and I may misrepresent it, but it was something to the fact that, hey, GYC calls themselves a grassroots movement, but they have church officials preaching there. And I, I'd just like to speak to that for a moment. We're a grassroots movement, make no mistake about it. But isn't it a blessing that church leadership wants to interact with the grassroots? Isn't it a blessing that our church says we are excited about the youth, we are passionate about what they have to offer the church, and we want to be a part of it? What a blessing it is. Since the last year, 
A lot of things have transpired. A lot of things have happened. The GC came to GYC. They looked at the landscape of the church and they said to themselves, self, we want GYC to be represented at the GC session. We had a GC session, leadership changed, uh, things were brought to the floor. And do you know that the leadership said, hey, we should have a delegate from GYC. They looked at you around here and said, hey, they are doing something. They are part of the church. We want them part of our delegation. And so I went to represent you as a GC delegate. What a blessing it was. I actually got the chance to speak on the floor. Almost as nervous as I am now at that time. (laughs) What I told them was the conferences, the unions, the divisions... The local church need to start having young people involved in their leadership. It is imperative that the young people represented here, represented outside of here, are involved in leadership in our church. I told them we have a lot to offer. We're more than just young people that will one day lead the church. We are, church, we are young people that can lead the church today. And I think they responded somewhat. They put young people on the most recent committee to come out of the GC, the Reformation and Revival Committee. They looked again at the landscape of the church and thought to themselves, we want GYC to be represented on that committee. And so I go as your delegate, as your representative to the GC on this committee. And can I just share a quick experience? I I tend to be more of a person of action. How can we get things done? Let's get things moving. And so I went to the first GC uh, Reformation and Revival Committee meeting thinking to myself, all right, we are going to get a lot of things done. In this meeting, our our general vice presidents, uh, Elder Wilson came and spoke at it, the head of the review, the head of Adventist World Radio, the head of Hope Channel, uh, the the head of youth, World Youth, uh, just a a ton and a, a mass of people that can literally change the world. Other young people are on it as well. So I get into that meeting, I'm thinking to myself, we're going to do some things. Until two o'clock, we spent the time praying on our knees together. Before any decisions were made, we seek the counsel of the Lord. Our church is in good hands. Our church is in good hands. So why am I here? Why do I stand here? Not, not like a philosophical question, why do I exist on this earth, whatever. Why am I the president of GYC? And furthermore, why am I speaking tonight? Anyone wonder that? Because it's a question that plagues my own mind throughout the year. And I think the most logical reason I can come up with is first off, God wants me to be here. Second, GYC is built with a foundation that says, if young people can do it, I can do it. That is to say that if Justin can do it, if the executive committee can do it, if the 300 volunteers can do it, why can't I be doing something today? And so I stand here, as Israel said, not a pastor, I went to school at Southern, graduated with a business degree. I worked in a bank on Monday. This following Monday, I'll go back to work as a a banker. 
I tell you that as a little bit of a warning because sometimes not all my points come together. Sometimes I slur my speech. Sometimes I say the wrong word. But I'm also led by the Holy Spirit. And if I can do it, you can do it. Not here because of the, the great points that I put together. Not here because of the, the great leadership skills that I have. I'm here because I can spend time on my knees and so can you. GYC is built with an understanding that says if we can do it, you can do it. Friends, it's time for us to get involved. Whether it's a local church, whether it's GYC, or whether it's even a GC committee, God needs us today as young people. I think that's it for the beginning. Had my list because it's easy to forget. We'll jump into tonight's message. It's entitled, No Turning Back, as, as you can imagine. And tonight we want to look through God's Word and answer the question of, are we prepared to follow Him? That is to say, when Jesus comes to us and says, will you follow me? Will you? Will you? Bow your heads with me as we pray one more time. Blessed Heavenly Father, Lord, we're here again at a GYC convention. Excitement fills our minds, our hearts, our desires. We've come into a new city, into new hotels, and a new convention center. And as we meet here tonight, it would be a mistake for us to invite you in. Because you were here before us. So rather than that, Lord, we open our hearts to receiving a message from your throne. We open our hearts knowing that you'll bless us. We open our hearts with an expectation that you'll change us. And we open our hearts humbly knowing that you can form us and mold us into the youth you wanted. The youth you need to finish your work. Lord, as we embark on a journey to fully understand and answer the question, if we're prepared to follow, I pray that you would bless me. Bless my speaking. Take the human and push him to the side. Take the messenger and eliminate him. And give us a message tonight from your throne. Change us. In Jesus' name, amen. It was late at night. It was a Friday night, just pretty recently after last year's convention. We, we typically have uh, tacos on Friday night, and, and we have company over. And so on this particular night, the, the company had gone home. The, the ingredients for the tacos were put away. Our little cats were abandoned to the garage for the night. 
And all was seemingly at peace at the McNeilist residence. I was preaching soon, and so I was browsing the net. I was looking specifically for a meaning to a a specific Greek word. And through the process, my fingers clicked across a blog. Now, I often don't read blogs, but for whatever reason, this particular blog excited me. It, it, It got me enthused. It was deeply spiritual. At times, it was troublesome. It it was questioning me. How am I a youth? What am I doing with my life? What are my expectations for the future? How is God leading out? And I kept reading and reading and reading. And it was late, and I, I ran across this intriguing blog. I'll give it a a pseudo-name to resist the temptation of you even searching for him in this, or him or her in this room. And so I'll call him or her hope-seeking. It was late, I ran across it, it's entitled Human Limitation. And allow me just to read a few excerpts from it. Hope-seeking said this, human life is fragile, meek, and a very precious thing. That we cannot take for granted. We must remember that our meekness is what God uses to remind us on what we need and only he provides. Remember that he writes our days. We might die in a giant attack. We might die of an incurable disease. Or we may be healed. Live life wonderfully for many years. Or be a short inspiration that lives only about six The examples go on and on, so cherish your life. Live every day as if it were your last. Make sure you do what you can to make people joyous and happy with what God gave you. And then no matter how long you live, no matter where you live, no matter what you can do, live the life designed to the fullest. Stand strong, never lose sight of God's kingdom. Only the faithful will enter. Will you? Will you? Will you? Will I? The question plagued my mind. Seconds turned to minutes, which turned to hours. And I began to question my life, even as a Christian, even as a professed follower of Christ. Am I living the life God designed for me to the fullest? Am I cherishing the opportunity of my youth? What am I doing with my life? Will I? Will you? Will I live life to the fullest? Will I never lose sight of God's kingdom? What are my priorities? What is prohibiting me from living a life of no turning back? Deducing from the evidence articulated by hope-seeking, he or she was prepared to lay it all on the line. You get the impression and the assumption that this is a, a old and decrepit person living, looking back on his vast, his or her vast experience and saying, today I'm going to follow Christ. This minute I'm going to follow Christ. This second I'm going to follow Christ. I will follow Christ no matter what it takes. I tossed and turned for most of the night. Soon my thoughts, as as many times it does, turn to you, the youth of GYC. 
Are you at a point where you can say yes? Yes, I will follow you, Christ, no matter the cost. If not, do you want to be? Are you sold out totally to him? Are you surrendered to him? When Christ asks you to follow him, will you? Will you? As we prepare to mentally embrace that question and, and find an answer into our lives, I would submit to you we should go to our theme text. Before we get there, though, I would just invite you that we should first look at the context. We should look at the understanding as to why Jesus made such a vivid and remarkable response. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke. Luke 9 and verse 57. You have Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. If you get to John, you've gone too far. We're in the New Testament. Luke 9 and verse 57. When you get there, say amen. Not enough people with us yet. Luke 9, verse 57. I'll be preaching from the English Standard Version. Whatever version you have in front of you is fine with me, just so you're into the Word of God. Luke 9, 57. Are we there? Yes or no? Now we've got people there. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Where will they follow him? Wherever he will go. Now I get the, the sense that as I read through this and as I know Jesus' response, that this person was kind of making a, a nonchalant comment. I almost get the sense that this person did not understand what they were saying. That is to say, this person came up to Jesus, a would-be disciple, and said, Listen, Jesus, I'll tell you what. I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus, I'll make the sacrifice. I'll uh, go where you want me to go. I'll give up what you want me to give up. Whatever it is, Lord, I will follow you. But I don't think they meant it. I almost get the sense that this person is making a comment like you and I here in church most Sabbaths. You've been there. You walk into church, you get there, there is the smiling greeter. They say, good morning and... Does anyone go to church? They come in, you come in, you walk in, the greeter says, good morning and... Happy Sabbath. What does happy Sabbath even mean? You ever thought about that? And furthermore, when you say happy Sabbath, uh, do you mean it? See, I think the person making this, or excuse me, when we make the comment of saying happy Sabbath, we do it because it's comfortable. And you and I will keep going on saying happy Sabbath, not because it's bad, not because we do or do not mean it, but because we've done it in the past. Friends, I just wonder, have we gotten too comfortable with saying that we'll follow Jesus? Will we continue to say, yes, Lord, I will follow you simply because we've done it in the past? Say, ah, yes, ah, I will follow you. GYC, absolutely I'll go. I'll join a local congregation, absolutely. Go to a youth conference, absolutely. Go to an Adventist academy, will do. Go to an Adventist college, you bet. And then when we're asked, are you a Christian? Are you a Seventh-day Adventist? Are we too quick to respond, indeed I am? 
Could it be that as we embark on the journey to answer the question of how you and I can turn back or not turn back, that we may need to have our foundations, our biases, and our preconceived ideas of what it means to follow knocked down? Could it be that through the process of this life, the word follow has been watered down to mean something that Jesus did not want it to mean? Could it be that through the process of this weekend, you and I need to understand not what it means as a human being to to use the word follow, but what Christ himself means when he says follow? Are you, am I prepared to have the misconceptions the biases, and the preconceived notions shaken? Are we going to allow God to define it and what it means to follow him? Friends, this is not just another GYC. If it was, we would have coined the theme probably follow you. If we were feeling edgy or even postmodern, maybe just follow, maybe just you, but it's not. It cannot be. It is, we are not in a point in earth's history where you and I can, be afford, can afford to be sitting in our living room doing absolutely nothing. We're not there anymore. This is not just another GYC. So we came up with a theme. Gutsy in nature. No turning back. And we think about it. How could we? In fact, how dare we? Think about how GYC has grown over the years. GYC at its inception, a bunch of young people risking it out. You know they actually put the first conference on their parents' credit card? Then there was Alistair, his paralysis in Minnesota. Another student who died tragically on the way back from GYC. Think of the outreach experiences. You know, one year we actually sent out an entire bus with no maps. But amazingly, by the grace of God, when all the buses came back, everyone had a map in their hand. And we're suggesting that we've come so far as a movement, as a mass of young people, that at this point, we must not turn back. The theme is about commitment to Christ, who incidentally never turned back. It's about sacrifice to our Creator, who incidentally never turned back. It's to say to our Creator, I have found you. I know you. The old life, the past experiences are dead. I have met you. And there's no way, no way on earth I'm going back to where I came from. No turning back. When Christ asks you to follow him, will you? Will you? Back to the story of Luke. Recall with me that this would-be disciple approached Jesus with a bold declaration. He or she thought she was prepared to follow Jesus anywhere, but we have just suggested that this casual enlister has not, through the imp- has not thought through the implications of the declaration. And notice how this point is even more developed as we read on. Luke 9, and I'm in verse 59. 
to another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first. Let me first go and bury my father. Lord, let me first. Did you catch it? Did you see the insight that this gives us about the level of commitment of this would-be disciple? Lord, let me first. Translation, translation, Lord, let me first do something before I follow you. Lord, I'll, I'll follow you, great, but hold on just a second. You see, before I follow you, I, I need to do this. I need to accomplish this. I need to attempt this, and then I will follow you. For this would-be follower, his or her first priority was something else. Incidentally, friends, this is the type of mindset that is at the heart of what it means to be looking back. It is to delay the call of an, or it is to delay the answer of a call from Jesus. It is to hear an appeal and say, yeah, I want to, but uh, let me first obtain my degree, build my bank account, get married, have a child, go to school, speak with my pastor, speak with my counselor. The list is seemingly endless, but there are times when Jesus calls for a decisive answer now. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that some of those things aren't okay. It's not bad to have your degree. It's not bad to have wealth. Not bad to get married. And not bad to have children if you're ready for it. Just thought of something really important that I want to tell you. And I don't know if I should take the second to do it. I should. Maybe I shouldn't. This year, this year, very quickly, this year we're doing something new at GYC. Can I tell you about it just for a second? Hold the place where we are in Luke. Hold your thoughts about will you follow Jesus. This year we're doing something called Total Church on Friday. We want to inspire and train young people on how to be involved in the local level. Amen? Here at GYC, you are going to learn how to be involved at the local level. We're going to bring you in. We're going to teach you about the Seventh-day Adventist Church right here as a large group, as a large class. We are then going to go into seminars where you pick how to be an elder, how to teach a Sabbath school class, how to teach even cradle roll, how to teach pathfinders, etc., etc. I am ecstatic about it, and you need to be there. It made me think of that when I said having children, because we have someone that's actually going to be teaching a class on how to teach cradle roll. For us to say that that only elders, only deacons are important to the church is a huge mistake. We need godly leaders that can do even cradle roll. So we brought in a young lady sitting on the front row, red cheeks, who's going to teach us that. Don't miss it. Having children isn't bad. These things are important, but my point is this. If Christ calls for a decisive answer, anything that stands in the way of that call, anything that compels us to delay his response is to turn back. Jesus is beckoning for a decision. A decision from you to follow him. Do not delay. No matter the glaring accomplishments you think you need before following him, it is not worth it. Oh, yes, but there's always tomorrow. Friends, for most of us in our lives, tomorrow is in a code for never. 
Obedience delayed is disobedience. We sacrifice our eternal destiny for a shot at today's gain. Obedience deferred is no obedience. When Christ bids you to follow him now and you delay the answer to the call, it's as good as not obeying him at all. Tomorrow or later will never come. This is why the Bible repeatedly states, today if you hear my voice, today if you hear my voice, today if you hear my voice, harden not your heart. Perhaps one reason we are not willing to follow him is we are not willing to sacrifice certain things we are holding on to. Friends, the thesis, the the climax, the pinnacle of no turning back is sacrifice. What will you sacrifice for him? For some of us, it is to give up something tangible today. Something we can see, something we can taste, something we can feel, something we can listen to. But for others, it's giving up something that we may attempt or may try to attempt in the future. For many of us, it's God calling us to sacrifice a carnal future desire. Clearly in this passage from Luke, those who were called, as with all disciples, were being called to sacrifice something. Whether it was present or future, tangible or untangible, they were called to sacrifice something to follow Jesus. What are you willing to give up to God forever? Not one year from now, not one month from now, not one day from now, not one minute from now, not one second from now. What are you willing to give up to God today? We give to God with no expectation of receiving it back. When Christ asks you to follow him, will you? Will you? On to our theme text. Luke nine sixty two. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Here Jesus gives an example of a man plowing. He has just listed off some troubling criteria for following him. And then he gives us an example of what it is like to follow him. And notice with me something. This man is actually plowing. Not too insightful, but that is to say that this man, in order to not be be turning back, he had to be working for Christ. You know, I can't help but wonder if this is what fueled the disciples that we read about in the book of Acts. In order to not turn back, we must be working. Desire of Ages, the classic about the life of Christ, the inspired pen, page 523. Only those who will become co workers with Christ, what are they? What are they? Only those who will become co-workers with Christ will be acknowledged as sons and daughters of God. You want to be a son of God? You want to be a daughter of God? Only those who are co-workers with Christ. All should consider what it means to desire heaven and yet to turn away because of the conditions laid down. Think of it. Think of what it means to say no to Christ. 
The Savior offers to share with us the work God has given us to do. He offers us, he offers to use the means God has given us to carry forward his work in the world. Only, only in this way can he save us. Jesus tells the group gathered around him, in order to follow, in order to not turn back, you must have your hand to the plow. Can't help but wonder if that's what fueled the disciples. Soon after Jesus tells them these words, soon after he's crucified on the cross, we read in the book of Acts, and it is absolutely littered with accounts of the disciples going out boldly. Boldly they spoke to the Sanhedrin. Boldly they spoke to the Pharisees. Boldly they spoke to the large groups. Boldly they spoke to small groups. Boldly they spoke even when their life was on the line. But something had to happen first. Before any sermon was preached, before any Bible study was given, the disciples had to have an upper room experience. Can anyone recall with me why the disciples were in the upper room initially? can't hear you. They're scared. I think I heard someone say that. Scared. Hunkered down. Somewhat ashamed of their beliefs. The Bible and the spirit of prophecy tells us that the disciples were scared for their own life. But tolerate with me. Tolerate with me this thought. Picture the upper room in its early stages. There's about 120 or so of them up there. They're thinking about what they're going to do. They're praying about what they're going to do. And I picture in my mind, someone comes along and thinks to themselves, I've just had a stroke of human brilliance. The reason Jesus was, was crucified is because he was a little brash. You can kind of picture the wheels turning. Could be. Perhaps he didn't really mean what he said. Perhaps we should soften the message a little bit. Yeah, that's it. Here's what we'll do. We'll soften the message. It will make it appeasing to the Jews and the Gentiles. No point in getting people too worked up. We just want to comfortably blend in. Friends, could it be that many of us today are hunkered down in our own hypothetical upper room? Could it be that we are tempted to want to live in this, this utopian where it's acceptable to be an Adventist? Oh, isn't it so sweet to be an Adventist? The world loves us. What's that? You don't believe in going to church on Sabbath, Saturday? That's okay. No point being abrasive or confrontational, but believe what you want. Give me a break. The Christian message is abrasive to the world. 
The true Christian message antagonizes the world. It's abrasive in nature. At every human's being core, there is a desire to sin, to separate themselves from God. And we are coming into the world to say that is incorrect. You need a savior. You need to worship him. You need to not sin. It is abrasive. It is not comfortable, but it is what we have been called to do. We need to stop hiding behind our own truth and our own unsanctified opinions. We need to stop attempting to hijack God's truth. If it is abrasive, fine, it's what God has called us to do. If it is uncomfortable, fine, it's what our Creator told us to preach. You don't have to be obnoxious about it. Don't have to be arrogant about it. A loving delivery is necessary. But make no mistake, the truth will cause discomfort to sinners and sin. It is not, if it is not watered down, it will call for radical change in people's lives. If you can't tell, I have a strong problem with the notion that we can water down the Bible's message to make it accepting. As if somehow we can massage it enough to where everyone will love us. I have news for you. We're never going to be loved on this earth. Prophecy tells us it. The Bible points to it. We need to stop caring about what people think of us and start caring about what God thinks of us. Is it going to be uncomfortable at times to follow Christ and commit to no turning back? Absolutely. Will it be an unpopular thing to do? You better believe it. Peter in his first book employs these words. 1 Peter 4.12 1 Peter 4.12 Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trials when it comes upon you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you. Peter's telling us, uh, warning us to be expected that trials will be coming. Expect it. Expect to be despised from the world. Expect for the world not to accept you as a Christian. But then he lays down a striking appeal directly after in verse 14. But rejoice. To the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering. That when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Whew! Did you catch it? It's an extremely strong word for Peter to choose to render that statement. Rejoice! Not only should we know hatred will be coming, not only should we embrace the fact that the Christian message is antagonistic in nature, not only should we boldly proclaim God's truth, but, uh, oh, by the way, when people don't like you, when they laugh at you, when they make fun of you as a believer, when they call you biblical, Christian, centered, conservative, weird, odd, unique, rejoice in it. No turning back. Capitalizing on this line of reasoning, Ellen White states these words. Great Controversy, page 48. Why is it then that persecution seems in a great degree to slumber? The only reason is that the church has conformed to the world's standards and therefore awakens no opposition. And that was then. What would she say now? The religion which is in the current in our day is not of the pure and holy character that marked the Christian faith 
in the days of Christ and his apostles. It's only because of the spirit of compromise with sin. Because the great truths of the world of God are so indifferently regarded. Because there is so little vital godliness in the church, the Christianity is apparently so popular in the world. Did you catch that? Her words, not mine. It is only because of the spirit of compromise with sin that Christianity is apparently so popular with the world. Then she tells us, let there be a revival of faith and power of the early church and the spirit of persecution will be revived. I've thought about it. I've prayed about it. The practical application of this point, the the verses, the spirit of prophecy, we've just unpackaged. When you think about the practicality of these points, I realize, I realize that what I'm about to say could be misunderstood. But I also march forward fully realizing that it could be cast aside, trivialized, a passionate youth misinformed. But I also realize it must be said. There is a movement from within the Seventh-day Adventist church to soften and at times abandon parts of our message. Make it more comfortable. Comes under the guise of being postmodern and trying to appeal to the postmodern mind. Comes under the guise of being youth-friendly or appealing to youth. Many of you, for all of us actually, the reality is we are either part of the current or we are not. And the other reality is this, especially with church leadership, at whatever level, some of you have the capacity to either support the movement or stop it. And what I need to say, I say with the conviction with the boldness, but also with a heart filled with a love and a passion to see Christ come soon. Don't allow our beliefs to be hijacked. Don't allow others to do it. Please stand up and be counted. Understand this is from the perspective of a 26-year-old youth. I have had the privilege of preaching our distinct doctrines around the world for the last 10 years. I've seen it firsthand. Our messages change lives. I've seen it fully, and I believe it, that this message, the message ordained by God, is effective. Especially at this time in earth's history, we must not turn back from our message or our mission in the world. The reason GYC continues to grow and groups like GYC are popping up all around the globe is because young people want to follow God all the way. They do not want to turn back. They are not satisfied with cheap, watered-down messages and standards. They refuse to turn back. They want to give their all. They do not want to turn back. I believe with all my heart God is raising an army of youth. These large bodies of young people are a testimony of the appreciation we have for the truth. They represent a core of committed youth. 
that are saying to others, saying to our leadership, and saying to the world, no turning back. Close parentheses. The upper room must have been one of the most unique experiences described in the Bible. I can't wait to get to heaven and fully understand what went down. I'm not privy to all the details, but some of the things we do know is that they went in hunkered down and they came out filled with the Holy Spirit. We would be wise to have a conference on the Holy Spirit. Would you come? A few of you. We don't know the details, but the disciples went in ashamed, scared for their own existence, and came out preaching boldly. They came out of the upper room, hand to the plow. Clearly, there was no talk of turning back. We need it. You and I need an upper room experiences. Perhaps we're afraid of the world. We're hunkered down. We clumsily proclaim, I will follow you. But we don't understand the implications of our declaration. The only way to fully embrace the truths in this Bible, the only way to internalize them is to love them, appreciate them, and let them change your life. Jesus says, you want to follow me? Your hand needs to be to the plow. Now understand, uh, I'm not talking about the becoming a Mark Finley or a David Ashrick and preaching all around the globe. Uh, my wife and I, as a result of this message, some things that we've been talking about, we're going to hold an evangelistic series in our small church this fall. We're praying for one or two to be baptized. And can I be even more real with you? We're praying that their last name will be McNeilis. See, we're not at a point in Earth's history where we can afford to be sitting in our living room. They're there. The signs are there. Matthew 24, you've probably been through them many times. Jesus is coming again soon. Daniel 2, we're right there at the very toes, at the cusp of eternity. Jesus is coming again soon. He says, if you want to follow me, put your hand to the plow. He needs our feeble efforts, even if it's just a small effort to find one or two baptized. When Christ asks you to follow him, will you? Will you? You say to yourself, self, I'm committed already. I've been coming to GYC for the last three, five, eight years. I'm committed. I'm immersed in my local church. By the way, here's my handy-dandy list of responsibilities. Maybe you're a pastor. You're preaching every Sabbath. You say to yourself, I'm turned back. Maybe you're even presenting here at GYC. Or you're on the executive committee. You say to yourself, I'm there, I'm, I'm committed, this theme is not really applicable to me. You've kind of built yourself a little hedge out on a limb. 
And so the message tonight, the, the theme is all irrelevant to you. And if that's you, tolerate this for a moment. Everyone at this conference has left things behind in their life. A relationship, a bad experience, moments of glory, and there is no turning back from them. They are left behind. But could it be, could it be that some of us, through the process of this life, have left Jesus behind? Like Mary and Joseph, we need to turn back to Jerusalem to rediscover something we thought was with us, but is not. And let me give you a very practical, real-life example. The creation-evolution debate rages war on some of our campuses. What a shame. The staunch defenders of the church and truth march out with their texts and spirit of prophecy quotes in hand, earnestly ready to pounce on any suspecting or unsuspecting victim. Honestly, with the advent of the internet, you can do it from your own home. And remember, we've just built from the foundation of truth. We can't sacrifice it. We can't water it down. It's abrasive. We have to understand it. We have to know it. We have to love it. But, did you ever, in the process of your carefully articulated attacks... Stop to pray for the person you are attacking. Did you study the creation doctrine to discover the beautiful creator behind it? Or so you could have some ammo for your next attack? I would submit to you this. Some on the creation side of the dialogue, the absolute right side to be on, have lost their salvation through the process. Follow it to its logical conclusion. Could it be that a person in their stand for truth, desperately calling others to lose their salvation, do so while manifesting a spirit that will cause them to lose their salvation? (sighs) Maybe none of this is resonating with you. Perhaps it's just for me. Because I've been there wasn't the creation-evolution debate. That's just an example. But through the process of my life of leaving things behind and marching out to do the right thing, I've left Jesus behind in the process. For some of us, we need to rediscover something we thought was with us, but is not. We've just assumed that Jesus is in the caravan of our lives, but tonight, through this conference, we may discover otherwise. Thus, we need to rediscover some lost values. We need to rediscover Christ. When Christ asks you to follow him, will you? Will you? Whenever you're addressing a change or a a potential change in your life, it is vital, vital to understand and to look at our Savior's example. Jesus left his home in heaven. He lived a perfect life here on earth 
as our example, and then he died on the cross as the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Jesus is to be our example in every facet of our lives, so I would submit to you. I would ask you tonight, did Jesus turn back? Did he act in a manner of no turning back like we are submitting we should do tonight? And it's in the context of the last day that I'd like to approach that question. For most of us, there's quite a bit of emotion attached to the last day. You think of your last day of Christmas break or, or summer before returning to school. Oh, you long to be back in those days of the good times. For the professionals in the room, we we think of our last vacation. The day before, the last day before going back to work. We long to be back on the beach or on the mountain or on the island, wherever it was on our vacation. But soon the last day comes. Then there's those last days that require a celebration. It's the last day of academy or college, the last day before you move into your new home or a different car. As humans, we are all too predictable. We excitedly close the chapter of our lives and open a new one, but it's always met with just a little bit of fear. Fear of what's to come. Fear of what the next step is. Fear of acclimating to the new environment. Fear that we won't make it. But Jesus, who shines as our example embraced each last day with apparent confidence and thus a lack of fear. Think of his last day in the carpenter shop before going to the river to be baptized. Think of his last embrace with his mother before dying on the cross. Think of his last day with his disciples before returning to heaven. But before any of those last days, there was a last day that happened to our creator in heaven. Imagine with me Jesus' last day in heaven. The unfallen representatives all surrounded, gathered and in a bit of curiosity. They embraced him one last time. Will he actually go? The angels bowed one last time to their master before he left. And at some point, he embraced his father one more time before embracing humanity. And there, with heaven portrayed in the background of his walk, focusing on earth, the human race, he departed heaven. Think of the sacrifice he gave up. He knew he'd be ridiculed. He knew he'd be laughed at. He knew through the bold preaching of the gospel he would be hated. He knew he would come and his own would receive him not. He knew they'd spit on him, beat him, and eventually crucify him. He could have chose to stay in heaven where the angels would worship him, but he didn't. He could have chose to stay in heaven where all the unfallen beings lovingly obeyed him, but he didn't. When he walked out of heaven to come to this earth, he was thinking of nothing but you. Wasn't looking back at Gabriel, the holy city, the angels, the unfallen representatives. He turned and looked toward the human race, towards you. 
Ellen White in The Desire of Ages pronounces that Jesus did not consider heaven a place to desire while he was here. When Jesus left heaven, he, excuse me, when Jesus left heaven, he embraced no turning back and all the sacrifices and nuances that went with it. Friends, when it comes to his love for us, he never looked back. He had just one desire, your eternal destiny. When Jesus asked you and I in Luke 9 to follow his commandments, when he asked us to put our hands to our, the plow and not look back, it's not like a human saying, do as I say. He's asking us to emulate our Savior. He's beckoning for us to not turn back because he already did. When Christ asks you to follow him, Will you? Will you? It was a cold day in the middle of February. It was in Minnesota and the wind was blowing. The temperature was far below zero. And for you and I, it was a day like any other. It probably went by without any eruptions, interruptions, but for my Aunt Tracy, it was a day she had to caringly and lovingly approach her son. See, my little cousin Weston had been in a battle with cancer. He'd been in and out of the hospitals many times. Through the chemo treatments, through multiple invasive surgeries, at times through the process, it seemed as if Weston was winning the battle against cancer. But on this particular day in February, my aunt had to tell her son the battle was over. The cancer was terminal and soon he would die. Shortly, shortly, after hearing the news, Weston called for his laptop He'd been blogging throughout the fight. Weston logged in for what end up, ended up being Hope Seeker's last post. It was, it's one of those posts I'd like to read with you in closing. It may have been his last, it may not have been. See, Hope Seeker wasn't an old man peering down the vast expanse of his life. He was my cousin Weston, a 21-year-old. And he had what you and I would conclude to be a rough life. When he was three, he was involved in a horrendous car accident. He was airlifted by a helicopter to the Mayo Clinic, and Weston barely survived with his life. But he suffered brain damage that lasted the duration of his life. As if this wasn't enough in the, the final year of his life, he was on with a, a battle with cancer. It was one of the most aggressive and rarest forms of cancer that, that we know of. 
There was even a time where he had to go in for surgery and his face was manipulated. Skin was grafted from his leg. Because of the brain damage, school was tough. At times, fitting in seemed awkward. And so I read another post from Hope Seeker. A a 21-year-old boy all too familiar with the pain and agony of this world. The dangers and tribulations will be coming. Only by living with God and living by his standards, we will be alive and well. God's ways are too great and too good for man to comprehend. The way, the truth, and the life will never be tolerated in this world, but never lose hope and stand strong in the truth and your calling. Carry your crosses to the end of the road and God will make it well. I myself am going through many crazy and freaky trials and I know only by trusting God and following Jesus' example, I will be able to live well and safe. I personally am ready to be a martyr and die today for the calling of God and do the right thing. I only want to be in heaven. Be strong and well in the Lord and remember his promises. He has a wild and nutty calling for you. Are you willing to go there? Or are you just going to sit around and do nothing? He won't tolerate that other either, just so you know. May God open your hearts And make it all well. And have you able to enter the kingdom in his glory. God bless all your souls. And I only do what I can to make all well in the Lord. Weston died a few days later. Etched on his gravestone are the words he so poetically proclaimed. I have no regret for the life God chose for me. I have no regret for the life God chose for me. Life is tough, but I have no regret for the life God chose for me. Weston fully understood sacrifice. He fully understood what it meant to surrender it all to God, no matter what's going on in your life. I still remember the last time I visited him in the hospital. My wife and I entered the room and the, his family was gathered around. Incidentally, they're not Adventists. And they're not necessarily even Christian at times. But they were gathered around Weston and, and he... He was boldly proclaiming messages from God. We walked in and there he's preaching from his bedside. His family nestled around, listening intently. There were three friends from his school that came. The nurse had even stopped from what she was doing and came to hear him. 
And there he was un, unfolding the truths in the Bible, proclaiming God's love for him, proclaiming his absolute trust and faith in God, despite what he was going through. And I remember them getting to the end and one of the boys said, you know, Weston, I'm not going to have to go to church on Sunday because I just got my sermon. To which he replied with a little dissertation on why Sabbath is a, Saturday was a day you should go to church. <laughs> Weston knew wholeheartedly what it meant to follow him. Even at times while it was uncomfortable and uncommon. He understood what it meant to sacrifice. And he was unashamed about the Bible truths. And he boldly proclaimed them everywhere he went. He knew without a shadow of a doubt, Jesus was with him every step of the way. I only want to be in heaven. When Christ came to Weston and asked him to follow him, he unequivocally said, yes. When Christ asks you to follow him, will you? Will you? Will you? Will you follow him? When he calls you to leave your friends and your family, maybe the security that you know and asks you to go to the mission field, will you? Will you follow him when he bids you to give up a particular job and leads you, that leads you to break the Holy Sabbath, will you? Even if you don't know how you'll survive, will you? Will you follow him when he bids you to enroll in a particular college, a university, a training program of study, if it's the only way you can he, you or he can be reached in a particular class of people? Will you do it? Will you follow him when he calls you to remain single and faithful for many years, though you desperately desire marriage? Will you say yes if that's what he wants you to say? Will you follow him to throw away the CDs, the DVDs, the MP3s that contain non-edifying music and messages? Will you do it even if it hurts? Will you follow him in giving up a particular piece of jewelry? A relationship that's displeasing to the Lord? Will you? Will you follow him to commit your life to caring for a cancer patient, a chronically ill or disabled child, or a parent? Will you? Will you if that's what God has for your future? Will you follow him when doing so and inevitably brings you into conflict with those who have authority over you? Will you? Will you follow him by spending time with him each morning in devotions and in prayer. Before you check your Facebook or your email. Tonight I ask you, will you? Will you do it for Jesus? Will you do it today? Will you do it now? You preach enough times and you can sense conviction 
in a room. You preach enough times and you can see on the hearts, on the faces of people, God is speaking to them. And I'm going to make an appeal. This isn't just another GYC. The stakes are too high. We're not at a place in earth's history where we can afford to say no to Christ. When he comes to us, asks us to follow him, asks us to sacrifice, asks us to give something up, we must do it today. Tomorrow is a code for never. My first appeal, there's leaders among us. Church leaders, pastors, youth pastors, and some of you have been attempting to hijack God's message. You've thought to yourself, my church could be bigger. My youth group might like me more. The world might embrace me if I soften the message. I'm not going to ask you to stand. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. But some of you, God is placing a desire on your heart a conviction in your soul to embrace his message just how it is. We've been called as Seventh-day Adventists to take the message to the world just as Christ instructed us to do. Now, there are those among us who are leaders And we've been boldly preaching God's messages maybe our entire life. Here's my appeal. Those of you that are leaders, maybe you have been preaching bold messages, maybe you haven't. But if you'd like to, you want to, tonight you want to commit to say, I will make a stand. From this day forward, by the grace of God, I will boldly proclaim your messages. I will boldly teach your messages. I will boldly inspire other young people to tell your messages. If you are a leader here tonight and you want to say, no turning back, I'm going to embrace Adventist messages. I'm going to preach them. I'm going to teach them. I just want you to stand tonight. You're a leader. You're a pastor. You're a preacher. God bless you all. You're willing to take a stand and show other young people that you're ready to embrace the messages God has inspired you to preach. Now an appeal to the young people. And if you're a leader standing that's young, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Some of you, God is beckoning you to give something up. There's something in your life that God is placing on your heart to give up. Could be music. Could be a relationship. Could be a a direction. I don't know what it is, and frankly, I don't care. But God is placing the desire on your heart to give something up. To sacrifice, to say from this day forward, I will commit to serving you and I'm never, no way am I looking back on what I've given up. Some of you, God is convicting you to give it up. I'm going to ask you that you join me in the front. 
It's not an easy thing to do. It's not a popular thing to do. But God is desiring you today to give it up. Come to the front. Come to the front. I want to make another appeal. Some, some that are still sitting have sacrificed in the past. You've been there. You've given things up, but you've slipped. And God is calling you just this day, today to give it up again, to come back to him. Friends, if that's you, please come forward. Please come forward. We're on the very cusp of eternity. What a shame to miss out on our eternal destiny because of something the devil has placed in our lives. Keep coming. Press forward. There's one more appeal. Some of you, some of you in the process of giving things up in your life have left Jesus behind. You've been going forward doing the right thing, but it's been with a, an antagonistic, a abrasive, a obnoxious spirit. Through the process of trying to do the right thing, You've assumed that Christ has been in the caravan of your life, but he's not. Friends, if that's you, come forward. Press in. Precious Heavenly Father. Lord, through this foolishness of preaching, you've spoken to our hearts. You see those of us who have made a commitment. Some of us have said we're going to boldly preach your gospel to the world no matter the cost, no turning back. Some of us have pressed forward because we recognize through the process of life we've left something behind, and that is you. We've assumed that you've been in the caravan of our life, and you've shown us like Mary and Joseph we need to turn back. We need to rediscover a lost value, and that is you. No turning back. Then, Lord, there are others of us who have pressed forward. The devil is angry. He's placed something in our lives, maybe something tangible, maybe something intangible, you know what it is. And a 
lot of us here tonight have come forward and said we're giving it up. Whatever it was that was conflicting in our relationship with you, we're giving it up. It's not going to be easy. The devil will work hard to put it back in our lives. But we're saying by the grace of God, it ends today. By the grace of God, we give it up today. We sacrifice it, sacrifice it, expecting to never get it back. But we know. We know through the promises of your Bible, we're getting something better in return. Lord, seal our commitment. Lord, through the process of this conference, through the process of the evening devotionals, the morning devotionals, the seminars, the prayers in the hallway, the Bible study at night, the devotions in the morning. Lord, through it all, this conference, teach us, show us, and mold us into a spirit that says, no turning back. Let us all say together, amen. Amen. This message was produced by GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. GYC seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians in contemporary contexts. To download or purchase other resources like this, or if you have been blessed by GYC and would like to donate, visit gycweb.org or email info at gycweb.org. You could also reach us via mail at P.O. Box 3786, Ann Arbor, Michigan, 48106. This recording is licensed under Creative Commons. This means you can copy and share it with anyone you'd like. Please attribute this recording to GYC wherever you reuse it. And keep in mind that resale and alteration are strictly prohibited.